Hello and welcome to the Soccer Open Podcast with me, Marcel Akame, and Josh Reynolds. Josh, please say hi. Hey everybody, how's it going? Um, today we will uh, discuss our top performers so far in the Euros, um, as well as an important issue, which is the awful, awful, awful handling of head injuries in the Euros through and, and throughout global, global soccer. Um, so yeah, we're really looking forward to discussing these things and, and, and hopefully giving you some um, interesting discussions. Thank you so much. All right, so we're back. So um, I think we're going to first start out with just asking the question, you know, who are the top performers in the Euros? Um, Josh, could you could you kick us off, please? Yeah, I think, I think the criteria we used was a team and then a player specifically. And... There was a lot to choose from. I feel like there's been like Italy has been a very very impressive team, and I don't really understand why people kind of consider them dark horses when it's Italy of all teams. Yeah, you know, it's like uh-huh. their their pedigree and things like that. But uh, I I thought about that, but I decided um, that I was going to go with the Spanish national team for a multitude of reasons. Um, they just like I feel like out of all the big teams, this one seems like the one that's most in transition, maybe tied with Germany. Um, We're kind of seeing the end of the Sergio Ramos era. They still haven't kind of replaced key players like David Silva and David Villa in the team. David De Gea has been struggling in goal. So it just seems like the national team, without like Iniesta and Xavi, Mm -hmm. don't have the same spark and the same bite that they used to. And so coming into a big tournament where they didn't, Gosh, I should have done better research. I can't remember if they didn't qualify for the World Cup last time or if they did, they struggled immensely. Mm -hmm. But either way, this is a team that hasn't had to show on a world stage in quite a while. And coming off winning the Euros in 20... Yeah, 2010. Or 2012, Mm -hmm. sorry. Yeah, They've had a long decade of decline. And so... Coming into qualification, they kind of trounced Germany, but <clears throat> otherwise they, they're playing this weird style of football where their coach, Ernesto Valverde, is mm-hmm. trying to kind of play Barca ball, but not. He, he actually is pretty good about picking players outside of El Clasico. So they, they kind of struggle to have cohesion at times. Um, they don't really have a reliable goal scorer, which we will touch on later. Um, but all of this kind of coming into the tournament. They didn't. They dropped Sergio Ramos, who he did have an injury-riddled season at Real Madrid, but he's still Sergio Ramos. He's the team captain for Spain, and they just decided that you know they're not going to pick him this for the Euros. So that was a big surprise. Um, oh, definitely. They yeah. Did, yeah, they did get a better um, center back. Not a better center back, but definitely good um, replacement in America Port because. Mm-hmm. France didn't want to cap him, so they just yeah. made him a Spanish citizen, and now he has scored a goal in the Euros. So, yeah. um, but even with all of that turmoil, then they had kind of had a COVID outbreak. Like Sergio Busquets got COVID, missed the first two group stage games, so everybody had to self isolate. They don't even have a full squad. Like Ernesto Valverde just decided not to pick two extra players, even though he could. Which, if you think like you have the capability to have more options especially attackers with mm-hmm. players like Iago Aspas not included in the squad and he had an amazing season for Celta Vigo in La Liga this year mm-hmm. you just it just kind of like just blows your mind it's like why it's like you're trying to shoot yourself in your foot before the tournament even starts so yeah. but it's working somehow. all of that <laughs> it's working but I mean even in the beginning like their first game was a no-no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So right off the bat, no-no with Sweden. They're in a group with Sweden, Slovakia, and Poland. You expect Spain to win, to be top of that group comfortably. Mm-hmm. No-no with Sweden, which Sweden, honestly, they were unlucky yesterday to lose to Ukraine. I feel like they played really well. But still, it's like Spain versus Sweden. You expect Spain to dominate. They just couldn't finish. Mm-hmm. Second game against Poland, 1-1, draw. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just one of those things It's like you – Coming to the final game of the group, you were kind of worried that Spain wouldn't even get out, yeah. even with the extra um, third-place teams getting into the knockout stages. So 
before they played Slovakia and absolutely smashed them. Oh, it it seems like Spain crazy. was just like dead in the water. And yeah. then they just completely yeah. obliterated What was Slovakia. it, like 4 4 nil, 5 nil? 5 nil, 5 nil. 5 nil, wow, it's um, crazy. Yeah, and it was just insane. Like, it was just like they finally figured out how to score. They finally got Alvaro, Alvaro Morata to score. Mm-hmm. And I, it just it seems like players like Koke, especially in the midfield, is really kind of like becoming the leader that – on the pitch that Sergio Ramos used to be mm-hmm. because outside of that there just isn't a lot of leadership but he's kind of really shown up mm-hmm. in the last few games and they have a lot of creativity now with Ferran Torres yeah. um, of Man City and Ernesto Valverde has kind of proved that he doesn't really need like Gerard Moreno who was an excellent player for Villarreal this year mm-hmm. and other plays like that like, he can just rely on Ferran Torres Petri and Coque and try to get Murata to bag some goals, which, and to his credit, he has two so far. So, mm-hmm. um, coming up to the game, their knockout stage with Croatia, that was pretty much anybody's game for respect, uh, especially in the beginning because they had just the most horrendous own goal I've ever seen. Like Pedri just yeah. smacked it back to the keeper, and he, I mean, <laughs> that was tragic. I I saw that, and I was like, oh, <laughs> like, game over. <laughs> from like thirty-five <laughs> yards, he just whacked that thing right at the keeper, and like yeah. when I see Mon, like. He has played okay. Like, I think he's probably still in better form than David De Gea. Mm-hmm. Um, but he plays for Athletic Bilbao. Like, he's been kind of given the crown as, like, oh, this is going to be the future of Spain in the goalkeeping department. But yeah. he just didn't watch the ball all the way into his foot and just yeah. roll right into the net. Tragic. That's an elementary mistake right there, isn't it? They're not going to come back from yeah. that. And then they did. And then mm-hmm. they ended up going three, going up 3-1 and unfortunately let Croatia back into the game. But... In extra time, they showed resilience and they showed a tenacity with their possession. Like it seems like the last two games, not only have they scored ten goals, which mm-hmm. is impressive, but yeah, it's just they they finally figured out how to use their possession to actually break down their opponents, especially as the games wear on. And it's just they hog the ball, the team will press them, get tired, and then Spain will just get a through ball in behind or mm-hmm. they'll just slowly build up slowly build up have a clever cross like there's a lot of goals where you look at it and you're like okay that looks like a man city goal or okay, yeah it looks like a barca goal like they're just they're finally starting to catch their feet so question and, then question then yeah. um if since you see them as this like um this team that's you know kind of clicking right now what do, would you say is their weakness right now what would you say um you know if they went out you know next week against um switzerland right or, you know, in the following round against whoever, who do you think or what's the reason um, that you think it's going to be for? Like, why Why do you think that they're going to – if they don't make it all the way through, why, why, why is it not going to happen? Yeah, I think um, the Switzerland matchup will be interesting because mm-hmm. I think it will come down to which team is more defensively solid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably been the weakest part of Spain's game. Like, mm-hmm. even in their nil-nil, like, they still give up some good shots to Sweden. Uh, they let Robert Lewandowski score. Yeah. And there were there are times when it just seems like one of their defenders clicks off. Like, you have Jordi Alba, who's going to blaze up the left side of the pitch as a left back, but he's always going to get into attack. So there's always kind of that natural bubble. Um, and the central center back partnership is right now between America Port and Eric Garcia, mm-hmm. which is not terrible, but... America Port is a bit bigger, so he's not necessarily the quickest. Eric Garcia is pretty quick and shifty, but he's only like six foot. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be can they stop balls from coming over their head, and then how do they match up with people who, like my player of the tournament so far, Harris Safarovic, who mm-hmm. is big, a target man. Like he's gonna, he absolutely bodied Clement Lille of France, like to get his first goal. Like he just, he shows that he can win headers yeah. comfortably, and he knows how to do it in the biggest stage so if spain can kind of mitigate that defensive those defensive issues like especially if you consider croatia's equalizing goal to make it 3-3 they just Mm -hmm. had a free runner into the box yeah and it was like in between the two center backs but he was in like the six yard box and just Mm -hmm. comfortable header home like it's just little things like that where it's like if they switch off for a second because that's the downside of the possession ball, I think. It's like they can kind of get a little too used to mm-hmm. having the ball, and it's a little bit slower, and then yeah. if something crazy like that happens, and then, that's, that's um, yeah. it's hard to come back from. Yeah, and that's I think it's something that um, the Spanish team has been um, dealing with for quite a bit, right? Like following 
their triumphs in, in, in previous competitions when they had a previous um, legendary team with the likes of Xavi, Iniesta, etc., etc. Um, after that period of dominance, right, it's been this kind of slow possession um, style of, of, of soccer where um, you almost feel like they're they're scared of, of losing, so they kind of just keep the ball as high up the pitch as possible on the op- op- opposing side, and um, they defend through possession football, right? They defend by knowing that they're just going to stifle the opponent from even getting the ball. Um, but at times, that kind of approach um, has led them to just um, that kind of shape where they're just a, a U around the opponent's box and just keep passing it all around it, and the game is really slow, and the opponents are just, you know, two lines of four, and they just right. sort of just like, we're going to block the ro- route to goal, and they're not going to do anything about it. And, it. and at times, it has worked for them. It has worked for the opposing teams against Spain. Um, but yeah, you know, for a few games this this this, this year's tournament, they've just um, kind of broken that. Because once they kind of have that one goal, and the opposing team has to open up a little bit, has to be a little bit more um, ambitious, right? It, it allows them to kind of completely dominate them. Um, and I think that's what we've seen with, with the Spanish team so far, right? They um, have found ways to get that um, incisive, pa- an incisive pass that, you know, cuts the defense in half and they're able to get the goal. Um, and then the team has to open up and, and they're able to just continue this dominance. Um, but I think then, and then I'm, I think I'm agreeing with you with that, that like um, if there is a reason that they do go out, it's because of the defense. It's because, um, you know, they have... Um, they get a counterattack against them, and the opposing team is able to get a goal against them through the counterattack or, or a corner or a free kick or whatever. You know, they're able to get one goal through Switzerland. can, And I'm, I'm sure Switzerland can do something like that with um, Severovic and, and, and um, Xhaka in there and, um, and Jordan Shakiri. So there's a lot of passing ability and incisive passing ability um, in that Switzerland squad. And I think that even like with Xhaka, like, for, for a couple of years now, he's been the player um, of incisive passing. He's been the player that oh, yeah. um, is able to take away um, the opposing team's um, numbers with just a simple pass, right? He's able to just see that quickly and just give a, a, a one-two all the way down the pitch, and all of a sudden, three players are out of the game. And that's what he did um, against, um, I think they, they played France last, right? Um, yeah. And that's what he did, and you can see that with one of their goals. He just completely took away, like, Pogba and, 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 and all the midfield in one pass and um, I think that that's if, if something's going to happen to Spain it's going to be that um, but yeah I do definitely agree this team is a team to watch now in this um, in this tournament um, you know if they're able to get past Switzerland it's just two more games <laughs> to, to winning the Euros so um, I think that there's a team that we could definitely see something like that happening too um, yeah so I think we will we're ready to move on to the next next um, team, and that's my yeah, team, um, the Den- the Denmark national team. Um, and I will be honest, I was not really look. I-, I think I did mention them as possible dark horses, but like everyone mentioned, like eight different teams as possible dark horses. And, yeah. You know, it's just basically mentioning. In Turkey, in Turkey, yeah. Also. <laughs> oh no, that that killed <laughs> that killed my my bracket, but. Um, yeah, the Denmark national team too. They've been um, really, really good. Um, well, maybe not really, really good. They've been as good as they've needed to be. Um, and I think that given the situation, given the situation, and I will we'll definitely get into that. And I think that like that is all you can really ask in a tournament style competition, right? You just need to be better than the team that you're playing on that day, right? Or mm-hmm. just just win the game, um, or just do what you need to do. And that's what the Danish team has done. Um, they first started out in that first game against Finland. Um, losing their best player, their talisman, um, Christian Eriksen. Um, you know, obviously, like, my heart goes out to his family, his, his, his friends, everything like that, Him to him especially, because I can't imagine what it's like to, yeah. you know, be, be to play a sport your whole life, and then all of a sudden in one game, um, it might all be over, right? Like, it really might all be over for him. He may not be able to play the game ever again. Um, and that's really, really tragic, but um, specifically with the team, um, they had to go back out, you know, about two hours after that happened, after their 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 best player, almost like literally he died on the pitch. They had to yeah, shock yeah, him yeah. back to life. Um, and they went back out there, you know, props to them for being able to do that, but they shouldn't have had to do that. Um, but they did no, anyways and um, ended up losing the game uh, 0-1, 1-0 um, to, to Finland and through a... Um, uh, Lucky goal, I I would say, because I I really don't think that they were the best team on the day. Um, I think that 
you know, that situation, you have to kind of give um, the Danish team the benefit of the doubt a little bit. Um, so, yeah, they did lose that first game. Um, and then they went on to uh, draw the next one, I believe. Um, but, like, since that situation, they have just turned it all around, right? They, they okay. lost the first game, drew the next one. And then the, the third game after that against Russia, they, you just, they ran riot, right? It was 4-1. Um, and you had, uh, you know, the, it was one of the most team effort kind of performances I've seen in such a, in a long, long time, right? Um, after, after losing to Belgium, losing to, to Finland, right, they were able to come back and kind of like rally. And you can see it in all of their goals, right? You see they score and they're all just like in euphoria, right? Like I, I, the first time I saw that was um, Yusuf Polson. I think it was against mm-hmm. Belgium, right, where he scored that one goal for them. And just like seeing him just like yelling and screaming and like, you know, crashing on the ground and every, all, the, all the Danish players were just all over him just like yelling on excitement because they, it looked like they could have defeated Belgium. But that goal, it was, you know, all for, for Ericsson, and you could all see that then they were they were playing for him. Um, and, and ultimately lost that game to Belgium, but then they played Russia and, and won 4-1. to one. Um, And I think that this Russian team kind of proved us right because I think both of us didn't really see them going too far in this competition. <laughs> um, and, and they definitely just gave up. I mean, yeah. Denmark were very impressive that mm-hmm. day, but it was more of like they're playing in Copenhagen. And yeah, they get a couple of goals, and then you just saw like Russia was just like, mm, no. yeah. I just, I just feel like I that was such an interesting game for a lot of different reasons. But you, that if you ever want to see a clinic on a team just like completely def- deflating, yeah, just giving up <laughs> that <laughs> Russian just team knew that they weren't going to get back into it. So yeah, yeah. Props to Denmark for breaking them down. Yeah, and I think that this team really like. Um, puts it in perspective that concept I was talking about of the narrative, right? Like, a lot of the times these kind of competitions, like, when you have a team that is, like, thinking one way, right? They have something pushing them, right? There's things going on in their country, and it's making them want to play and show their country that they can they can do well or, you know, something like your best player passing away on the pitch in front of you um, and, and, and playing for him and playing – to, 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 to give him this win in this tournament, right? Or just to take this country far, knowing that so many in their country are, are hurting from what happened to Christian Eriksen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can just see it in, in their style of play. You can't really pick one specific player that has carried them. I think that if, if we had to pick one player, it would be um, Pierre-Emile Ahoybia of um, Tottenham Hotspur, who has three assists so far. He is doing so, so well. And... and, and, and just like um, he has 2.3 key passes a game so far. Um, and then you have um, Damsgaard, who was brought on um, to replace the, the creativity lost through, like from Ericsson. Um, he's quite a young player. He's 20, but he oh, has a goal. He definitely could win. Uh, this has nothing to do with his technical yeah. ability, but the youngest looking old person award <laughs> would definitely be his like uh-huh, he has agreed. such a baby face yeah but he's but, losing his hair and it's yeah. just so crazy <laughs> yeah i i definitely definitely agree with that definitely agree with that um and um i'm just gonna say real quick i don't know if you can hear the um you know sirens in the background but you know i live in the middle of the city shout out to dc shout out to living in washington dc but we'll go we will go on from there um and then there's other great players that have played so well so far right we have Casper um, Doberg of Nice, who scored um, two goals in the uh, game against um, the last game they played. I, f- I forget who against again. Um, but he came on for Yusuf Polson, who um, got an injury, and I would say he is their best striker. Um, so you can just kind of see this, like, Denmark team. There's just some, like, something permeating in the atmosphere. Everyone is just playing their ass off here, right? You'd have, um, you know, Damsgaard with a goal and assist, 2.7 dribbles a game. Uh, Mela of um, Atalanta, he's got two goals now, I believe, but he got one last game as well. Um, and, you know, they just completely destroyed the Welsh national team. Um, it was 4-0, four, four I believe. And, yeah. um you really didn't see the Welsh team scoring other than the first like 10, 15 minutes where they had a few opportunities a little bit um, with um, Bale dropping in a little deep, a little deeper to kind of spray passes around. But that just, that doesn't work that well when you're playing a team with 
three center backs that um, are against, you know, two strikers, two players who are playing up top that um, are against, you know, against the odds, right, with two versus three. And you have Bale dropping in deep. There's no runners going beyond them. There's there's no opportunity for you to score. And, you know, once um, the, the, the um, Danish team got that first goal, got that second goal, it was it. The Welsh team just lost the plot. <laughs> um, they were just <laughs> running all over. You could not – there was no sense of tactics anymore. There was no sense of um, – them no believing that they could even come back in this game um and i think that this is again like where we see this narrative this concept of the narrative right we these teams play this danish team and they they, they lose you know they sc- get a goal scored on them and all of a sudden they are already deflated because they're they just see the way these these dudes are just celebrating all these goals they're celebrating all these blocks they're celebrating every single little thing they're celebrating winning a header like you they they want this and you can see it in, every single one of their actions and i think that like that really really might take them very very far in this competition so i think that they have to get my my vote for um the top performers of this competition so far and i'm not going to say that they're the best team in this competition um but i think that if there's a team that many don't see winning this competition left in this competition and that ends up winning it's going to be the danish national team um anything to say about the same question yeah back to you Uh about Given, I feel like it's. I don't know if anything's an easy draw anymore because they play the yeah. Czech Republic next, but the Czechs just beat the um, Dutch. So, mm-hmm. um, is there like what is the one thing that could hinder the Danes as they pursue this title? Yeah, um, I would say like the the thing that could could hinder them is like specifically like their um, their lack of like one specific. Um, you know, talisman player. Um, a lot of the times when you look at these kinds of teams that aren't top rated, aren't the best in the competition, they do have that one talisman player. You look at Czech Republic, they have um, their striker. Um, what was his, what's his name again? Um, Patrick Schick. Schick. Patrick Schick. Patrick Schick. Um, and he is their talisman. He has performed like their talisman so far. Um, and this team, like when you look at a team that has a lot of goals spread around, you have a lot of... Um, there's no specific player that everyone can look to as this is our guy right now because because they've, they've, they've lost their guy right now. Um, you know, you might have a game where no one really steps up to the plate and kind of takes the game by the scruff of its neck and, and wins the game for them. Um, I could see something like a nil-nil or a 1-1 against Czech, the Czech Republic, and going into the penalty, the penalty shootout. And um, that at that point is, is mostly luck. Um, and they could end up crashing out of the competition just because they couldn't get you know one player to just make that one um you know that one turn and shoot upper 90 goal game over right um so i think that if, if there's one thing that's going to make them um come out of this competition is going to be that um yusuf polson might be that guy but we'll have to see because he's injured right now um right. and only has you know 213 minutes so far and but we'll see we'll have to check on checking on that injury and kind of see how he's doing with that but even then like yusuf polson is not <laughs> He's not a, a, a top top goal scorer, so right, um, right. It, it, it's it's kind of plain to see that like right now what has been carrying them is just the fact that they all want to win so bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know sometimes that just doesn't help. That doesn't take you all the way. Um, you could, you're going to go against the Czech Republic team that has been um, getting the wins they need as well um, with a good good structure, good defense, good talisman up front that, that, that scores almost anything that's in front of him. Um, yeah. So it's easy to see that uh, a game comes by where no one really takes up that mantle of I'm going to win this game for this team. I'm going to make sure that we, we, we are going through and they're not able to do so. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely what I, I think would happen if, if they don't end up going through. Um, I think that's very – yeah, I think that's definitely possible. Like, It's almost like they're too good of a team. Yeah. It's like they need kind of like that it factor. And mm-hmm. I feel like this matchup – is both of the team teams in this like the Czechs are a lot of people that play in the Czech Republic uh-huh. um, and so it's just kind of like they have their cohesion because of just the shared belief in like mm-hmm. their team so I think that yeah it'll be interesting to see who steps up for Denmark because I think they can I think they can beat the Czech Republic but I if 
for example, they have to play Belgium again. Like, mm-hmm. how are they going to beat Belgium when they've already lost to Belgium? Um, exactly. It's going to be those type of teams that really challenge mm-hmm. somebody to step up. So, and I think that's right. Yeah. All right. So our next question: Who is the player that you think has had been a top performer so far in the Euros? Oh, my vote is Harris Safarovic mm-hmm. for. I feel the like choice. I need to lead his like redemption tour because I just <laughs> like everybody was yeah. definitely on the um, uh, make fun of him train because he, he made it easy for so long. Like, yeah, I, a little bit of background: he is a Swiss striker. Um, he's twenty nine, plays for Benfica in the Portuguese league. Mm-hmm. So the best team, one of the best teams in the Portuguese league, but still he's. A reliable-ish goal scorer out there, but it's not considered, you know, one of Europe's top five leagues or right around the cusp of it. So mm-hmm. he still had a lot to prove. He's pretty big. He's six two, but one of the kind of the stockier guys on the team, minus Shakiri, who is just all muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's just more of like a target man. He yeah. he has a quick burst of pace, but I wouldn't say he's a sprinter. Mm-hmm. So he's just kind of like not that all around goal scorer. He's just going to get up there, win you some headers. Mm-hmm try to play off that the first game he just missed so many sitters and it yeah. was just kind of like okay yeah this is gonna be switzerland's downfall it's like this guy can't score yeah like he just he has a perfect opportunity he just can't do it and he's really proved me wrong and a lot of other people wrong like mm-hmm. i think that he's just shown up like in his four games he has three goals from five shots on target mm-hmm. so when he hits the target it's very high percentage yeah all of them are also really impressive. Like, his first goal against Turkey when they won 3-1 was just crazy skills. Like, his left yeah. foot from outside the box back across the keeper into the corner. Like, it was insane. And I was mm-hmm. like, who shot that? Seferovic? So it was kind of one of those things where it's like, all right. And then in this game in France, it's just like they're Switzerland are starting to use their wingbacks a little bit better. And yeah. they just cross and like inshallah and like <laughs> Harris Afarovich is like I got you and he's there <laughs> the every fi- time in the 15th minute he literally like pushed the French defender aside no foul <laughs> header like he put all that pace on that ball too like that was all yeah, his neck muscles perfectly into the corner yeah and then after France started coming back he scored the second header that started the Swiss comeback to make it 3-3 and eventually they won on penalties so it's mm-hmm. just like he is really proven himself to come up clutch like I mean I think can't think of anybody else, any other game more clutch than beating France. Yeah, that's um, that's. So I still can't believe that happened. That's, can you? That's can the you game be- for him to start scoring? Wow. Yeah, <laughs> so, can you believe freaking Switzerland beat? I know the French national team. I I feel like the the, the 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 third fourth string French team on paper should be beating yeah. the Switzerland oh, first team. For sure, I, it's. I don't know. I just think it was like one of those games where France were just kind of shocked that. Mm-hmm. Switzerland got back into the game, and Switzerland just – you had clever use of substitutions. I will say that Seferovic got subbed off, but also only because, like, he is one of the hardest workers. Like, he was absolutely exhausted mm-hmm. by the time they took him off because he was pressing and he was helping win the ball or at least control the French possession. So yeah. he brings that side to the game. I think he's going to be a good matchup against Spain's center backs because they're either going to have to man mark with one of the bigger guys, mm-hmm. Laporte or Pau Torres, because he's – bigger and stronger than the other center back Eric mm-hmm. Garcia so if Spain can't stop those crosses into the box then Seferovic could have an opportunity to have some nice headed goals or at least headed shots on target so I think that he's been one of the shocks of the tournament he's not necessarily the highest top goal scorer but yeah he's still in it and he has shown that he can prove his doubters wrong so that's that's my vote. Yeah, no, I I love that. I love that pick. You know, in fact, like when you, you saying that he's not one of the top scorers, he on the you know top scorer list, he is one of the top scorers so far. Right, he is um, fifth place right now. Um, although he is tied <laughs> with about four four or five people, <laughs> um, but out of that list, only three of them are still in the competition, right? Um, right. And above them on that list. The only there's actually no other people in the competition. <laughs> looking at the list right now, right on first right. place we have Cristiano Ronaldo on um, on five goals. Patrick Schick second with four four goals, so he's still in the competition. Um, yeah. Emil Forsberg at four, Karim Benzema at four, um, both gone. Um, Raheem Sterling is at three, tied with Romelu Lukaku at three as well, and Harry Safarovic is at three. So I think that you know he really does have the chance to, to, to get top score in this competition if, if they're able to go all the way. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be it's with 
him being the top scorer. I'm, I, 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 I could guess, I, I hope. Um, so yeah, he has been a very, very good player, and he's just like that type of like old school um, forward striker that's like big, strong. Oh yeah. You know, but but he still has those aspects of modern strikers in him too. Like he is a hard worker. He's gonna press the defense if they're passing around. Um, he, you can tell he like really wants to wants to win. Um, and he's one of those players that you can kind of sense like he kind of turns it on for his national team, right? Just playing for his country, like playing for his country, pushes him more than playing for money for his for his club, um, right. for Benfica, right? And um, yeah, I think that he has had a very good competition. So um, kind of can't wait to see what he does. Hope he doesn't get first top score because. I have some money for Romelu Lukaku being top scorer, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I you know I am always on the side of of the of the underdog, and he is the the head leader of the underdog here, underdogs here, and mm-hmm. um, on this team. So we'll see what they can do with this with Swiss team. Um, and as for me, um, my choice for um, top performer is surprise Raheem Sterling. Um, nice. I, you know. You know, even have to go back on myself real quick as well. Just the same way with you discussing Seferovic before this, we had this podcast, right? Before um, him performing so well, I didn't understand why he was the perennial first um, string left left winger. Um, it seemed like um, Southgate just picked him because he'd always picked him and not because he'd had the best season of the people that could have played that position. Um, I even remember wanting someone like Jack Grealish just on the left wing, or um, or, or Sancho, especially Sancho, who is yet to get a minute in, in this I in know, the Euros so, so far. Um, but you know, it's disappointing, but also like it's understandable because like this English team has like done as well as they could possibly have done. Um, maybe not with goal scoring, but with winning. Um, and in every single one of the games that they've won so far, Raheem Sterling has scored. Um, they've um, they've won two games, one nil, and and, and, and one game two nil with obviously the Germany game that just um, they just played yesterday. Um, but yeah, this this English team has just kind of surprised a lot of people. Um, they beat Croatia one nil, who scored in that game, Raheem Sterling. Um, they drew with Scotland, so it was nil nil. No one scored there, and then they played the Czech Republic, who scored. Raheem Sterling, Um, and then um, yesterday they played the German national team, and um, Raheem Sterling again scored the first goal, um, and uh, played a role in the second goal where Harry Kane actually ended up finishing it off. Um, And even like looking at the highlight of that goal, if Harry Kane um, hadn't been in that position, Raheem Sterling would have. He was right there on in the line of that of that pass of that cross through the you know face of the goal. and it's just like become just completely obvious that Raheem Sterling is one of the best players in the world that just being at the right place at the right time. Um, a lot of his goals haven't been the kind of dribble a bunch of players and tap into the right corner kind of goals. They've all been the kind of goals where um, a ball gets crossed into the box and he's there. <laughs> you know, uh, a ball gets passed through the face of the goal and he's there. Um, and they all seem so... Manchester City-esque, all of those goals, um, especially in like the 2017, 2018, 2018-19 um, season as well, um, where you had uh, Leroy Sané on the left wing, you had Raheem Sterling on the right, or they would switch sometimes, but a lot of the time, a lot of those goals saw those, you know, wingers on the side of their dominant foot, right, with Leroy Sané on the left wing, um, you know, Raheem Sterling on the right, they would cross it in, across the face of the goal with the ground cross, and the other winger would be right there, ready to just smash it into the open net. Um, and that's been a lot of um, Sterling's goals, and especially the goal yesterday against um, Germany. And yeah, he has just kind of proven all these doubters in the in the England media just completely wrong. And I'd also like to point out that a lot of the um, discourse on him has been uh, quite racist. I'm gonna be honest with you; it's all been about you know yes, him having it buying a house for his mom and his tattoos when there's like a bunch of white players that are completely covered with tattoos that are never commented on and um, just so much discourse on him has just been so racial and I'm very very happy that he has been so vocal about um, combating that that you know racism mm-hmm. and, and hasn't just taken it or whatever um, 
But yeah, he, he scored three goals and the only other scorer in the English team so far is Kane with only one. Um, and that one goal was after Sterling. So every goal he has scored so far has produced their win for them. Um, and, you know, Grealish has also been a top performer in this English team as well with two assists and not a lot of appearances and minutes so far. He's been a sub in two occasions and has produced the assist um, in two of those occasions, both to Sterling. Um, so that connection is really, really strong right now. And it's um, he's kind of making a case to play along with Sterling um, and Kane as well. So I, I can kind of see in the future maybe like a um, Kane striker, um, you know, and behind, right, but sitting just behind him, we have a, a Sterling and, and Grealish interchanging, changing size, changing directions, and um, cutting in, cutting out, going out wide, etc., etc. So those two players are doing really, really hard right now, and I think that it's centering on Raheem Sterling just being so, so clinical. Um, because if he wasn't, hasn't been, if he hadn't been this clinical, this team would definitely be out already, um, or oh, yeah. did, probably wouldn't have made it past the group just because um, they are not producing that many chances. Um, they are lining up in a way that's like, we'll make sure that they don't score on us. And if we get an opportunity, we have to make sure we score and make the most of it, make the most of the mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. And he has done that so far. Um, and and um, Sterling has 1.8 shots a game um, with and first in that metric as well with Kane at second at 1.5. He is also first in the metric of dribbles with 1.5 dribbles per 90. Um, so yeah, he's really making the case for being England's best player. And um, proving a lot of doubters wrong, including me, and I've I've liked him for quite a bit. You know, he played for Liverpool, um, mm. but then I had a period of of dislike after he left us for Man City. But um, he really is making the case for being the best player on this team, the being the most clinical, and um, you know, may be the top scorer if we see English, the English team winning this, um, the Euros taking it home. Um, you know, I guess it, <laughs> I guess it might be coming home. Um, it's all going to be down to Raheem Sterling and um, his clinical finishing skills that just are unbelievable and his knack for just turning up in the right place at the right time and that's how you know when a player is truly world-class and um i think he really might be entering in that conversation of like who is the world-class player in this team and it's raheem sterling i think so do you have anything yeah, to say I about mean, yeah yeah i just i feel like he's so maligned when uh-huh. in the media and just like reputation wise like he didn't have the best season at his club but it's just when you kind of think about how long he's been around like, yeah he's still only like 26 or yeah. something like that yeah like he's not that old cause just he's not hitting his peak forever mm-hmm. and it's just one of those things where you know i feel like we should probably touch on the racism in the media mm-hmm. at a certain point um, yeah i'm sure we can have an episode on that at some point yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but it just the way that England treats him mm-hmm. and then the way that coming to this tournament people treated him because of his inclusion after a campaign where he was kind of second fiddle to like Phil Foden and Ferran Torres. But you know he's what's just so like what's important about that? Like what's not to interrupt, but what's important about like like that point you just made is that like he didn't have a horrible season. Right? I think he I believe he had twelve goals and um, like 11 assists or something. I'm going to go look up the stats as we're talking, but um, he didn't have that bad of a season. Right, he just right, right. he just didn't, wasn't the, the out-and-out best player on a great team, <laughs> right? Um, it, which is which is crazy to me. Oh, he had 10 goals and 7 assists, right? Yeah. That's not... I mean, that's, those are good numbers. And just in the Premier League, just in the Premier League, right? Like, that's not the mark of a horrible player at all. Um, <laughs> I would I wouldn't say that. So it, it, it it's interesting that like he's just had this mark of like he had a horrible season. Why is he in this club? Why why is he in this team? This national team right now? And like I don't really understand it. And again, like we like we're talking about, it's definitely some racial elements in there. But yeah, keep going, Absolutely. keep going. Yeah, and it's just I guess quickly like he his use of space like like mm-hmm. you said like he's at the right place at the right time, but the movements that he creates like the runs he makes opens up space for other players yeah whenever he's on the ball like it seemed like germany were absolutely terrified mm-hmm. whenever Rick oh yeah Sterling got the ball and like he likes to cut inside like he's not afraid to take people on for dribbles like mm-hmm. there's there's a- aspects of his game where especially with england having such a slow build-up like they need him to yeah kind of like break open and he just has shown time and time again that he's a a, a good finisher and mm-hmm. he's in the right places he's one of the best like smartest thinkers for like finding the right space like yeah i think he is easily their best player of the tournament and mm-hmm. i don't see them 
going further without him. Yeah, agreed. Definitely, definitely agreed. Um, but now we are going to take a quick break, um, and then we'll, we'll be back to discuss our uh, next topic of this podcast episode, which is what um, you know what's happening with the Euros and head injuries. Um, we're going to discuss that in a little bit. So please tune in, stay a little bit. Thanks so much. And we're back. So, um, Josh, you want to get us started? So what do you think is happening here with the Euros and head injuries? Like, um, what have you noticed? Um, what have been some of the problems, et cetera, et cetera? I think we can, we'll talk about like the three incidents a little bit later, mm-hmm. but the thing with the Euros is concussions in soccer now are being taken more serious, which is important like that Mm -hmm. is a a first step like head injuries need to be addressed even in contact sports where it's not like american football where you're Mm -hmm. using your head more often and there's like helmets and things like that like in soccer there's still ways for you to have head trauma and that's been known for so long but Mm -hmm. nobody's really considered it because it doesn't usually have like an outward appearance and so coming to this tournament uefa said that they would try to mitigate concussions in these Euros mm-hmm. by saying like they would remove players from the pitch to check if they have concussions and if they do then they won't allow them back in mm-hmm. they've said that like this protocol that will insist on the players being removed even if it's been suspect- suspected and this is like to help protect the health of the players mm-hmm. um, in action they have not followed up on this yeah. protocol at all I mean Kind of going into the incidents, I think the most gruesome one, um, because the player was unconscious, was Benjamin Pavard. Yeah. Um, in the France versus Germany game, like he just took a knee to the head. Yeah, like, I the was. Guy was ho- like flying. Yeah, I was horrified by that. Like I, I, I remember watching that and actually like wincing and looking away from the screen because it looked so bad to me. Um, and I was like, yeah, there's, there's no way that this is gonna you can keep playing, right? Like, um. You just got a, got a blow of the knee to your head, and you, you get knocked out for like ten seconds. Like you just saw him lay there, um, and yet he continued playing for thirty minutes of the match, for the remaining thirty minutes of the match. Um, and, and they this would. This is the thing that's really baffling yeah. me about this situation is having like I have a storied past with concussions, mm-hmm. and part of the reason that my ignorance for concussions that I did have, but I didn't consider to be concussions, mm-hmm. was being. Like the idea of like you have to be unconscious. Like yeah, you have to be knocked out to have a concussion, mm-hmm. and that's not the case. And no, it's not the case. Yeah. and also he was unconscious. Yeah, so it's, so like, it's like, like even worse. Like, oh, he checked the box. And yeah, then the French doctors said that they didn't see any signs of concussion, so that's why they mm-hmm. allowed him to carry on. And I was like, I don't. So I, I just don't understand what you need beyond mm-hmm. like after that point. Like, what else does he need to be like profusely bleeding? Like, yeah, from uh, his ears or something. Yeah. So let's 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 just let me let me let me go through the the remaining two other cases that um I uh you know thought I remembered of from the era so far. And this is by no means an exhaustive list because this these three were just were found with about like five minutes of thinking and googling. Right. I'm sure there have been many many more throughout these Euros competitions because like there has been so many times where I've seen a head injury and the player comes back on but these these three were the ones that i you know immediately remembered and it's like the first the second one is christoph baumgartner of um of austria and he received a blow to the head and then continued playing um and then he went and you know went on and scored a goal um and then got substituted like five minutes later because he was dizzy obviously he had a concussion the next we have danilo Pereira of portugal who received a blow to the head to the jaw from hugo Lloris um during the last group stage match in the group of death and he fell down and from his own words his eyes were spinning in his head and he was down on the ground confused about what was happening and then continued to play on um and then was substituted at halftime right and you know whether or not that was because of this head injury or or a tactical tweak because i'm I'm sure that someone to make that you know make that case that it was a tactical tweak to bring on um renato sanchez or whatever but um, I think that again he had a head injury, um, and it's just it's really interesting. Like coming from uh, being in a competition where the uh, UFA, UEFA, the, the the organization 
have you know claimed that they wanted to focus on mitigating these concussion issues and um, removing the players from the pitch so they can actually have a, a nice check to see if they're concussed. But there's like there's several factors that obviously make that impossible, right? Without like specific guidelines, specific um, rules and laws in the game, right? For one, these concussion assessments like they cannot be condu- conducted and 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 you know. You can't come out of a concussion assessment of five minutes knowing that 100% we have figured out whether or not this player has a concussion and whether they're able to continue mm-hmm. playing, right? Um, so this leads to the uh, medical staff rushing, right? The, this leads to um, the pl- – and, and then we have also other factors like, of, of course, like the players are competitive, right? Like you're, yeah, not, a, com- you're not a professional soccer player if you don't get to this point in life if you – aren't insanely competitive and you're not a starter on a top national team if you do not believe that you like are the best shot at your team continuing on right so of course like if this player has a head injury and you you ask them in like five minutes you're doing these concussion protocol questions like they're going to do their best to not have the concussion like or not come out of that that assessment with the, the, with the, the medical uh, pr- uh, professional saying that they have a concussion. Um, and then you have other factors like wanting to be a professional and that player wanting to be like, I'm being, I'm being paid to be here. I'm representing my team. I have, to, I have to keep playing on. I have to tough it out, whatever, whatever. Or you have commercial factors. You have players with a lot of, you know, they're wearing boots with their, um, with their uh, sponsor on it. They're, they're, you know, representing a national team that wants to have you know a lot of exposure whatever whatever money is involved everything and there's so many factors that just kind of show us that there needs to be better guidance there needs to be better forms of uh you know governing this this thing this huge huge thing that um is hurting players is hurting the sport um so yeah what what do you think and 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 what kind of personal expertise do, do you bring into this yeah it's one of those things where you, you're tackling a lot of different, like, foes at once. So there's, like, the stigma around head injuries, mm-hmm. which exists because it's one of those things where they're harder to diagnose be, and they're just not as externally facing. So mm-hmm. it's almost like kind of like a – the blinking on the term um, – just like instant gratification it's like when you pull a hamstring it's it's almost like instant gratification in the sense it's like you know what you did you're done you can't walk on that you can't play we have to sub you off where it's like a head injury doesn't always manifest itself in the exact moment that it happens and so that's where you come into the issues with players being competitive Mm -hmm. and you know like going through questions when you get concussed is difficult i mean Honestly, the questions that they asked me when I got my last concussion, I feel like I would struggle to answer without a concussion. Like, it's like, what day of the week it is is fine. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, what day of the month it is. And, like, it's like all those kind of questions where you kind of tie into, like, can you say your alphabet backwards? Mm-hmm. Can you just, like, cognitively always, like, process these questions and get them out in a manner that shows that your brain is functioning at a level that it's okay? Because, like, you know, you don't have to be knocked out. Like, you, like, dizziness is a big symptom. So I'm glad that Baumgartner pulled himself out of the game. Like, that mm-hmm. is a situation where if you are still, if you're concussed and you continue to go on, A, you're more likely to get a concussion later down in the in the far future, like, whenever in a different games, something like that, you're more likely to be concussed because you've already had a concussion. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, like, if you're concussed and you continue to do the physical activity that you are partaking in, there are actual, like, repercussions that could happen. Like, if you get another head trauma mm-hmm. and it's significant, you can have a brain aneurysm. You can have a seizure. You yeah. can die. Like, yeah. it, it's not like – it. there's one of those things where it's – if we can save Christian Erickson's life, like and justifiably because his heart stopped, like we should consider taking concussions mm-hmm. as we're trying to save these people's lives, so these players don't have dementia when they're yeah. forty. You know, it's and so I think rushing the doctors is a big issue. Like like you said, mm-hmm. it's hard to do that not in a quiet room. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's just the players are going to be disoriented. Light is an issue. Sound is an issue when you're concussed. So stadiums aren't the best environment for both of those things. Yeah. And the doctors need an answer because the referee needs to start play again. Mm-hmm. So they, they started moving people to the side. Um, but still, it's kind of like, you know, the players don't want to get off. By the time that they're able to walk off, you feel normal-ish, I'd say. It's like you, you definitely don't feel great because yeah. your head hurts like you have a headache. But mm-hmm. um, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, if you don't take it seriously, then you're like, okay, I can keep playing. So finding the time to accurately have a medical examination, have medical examiners that want to do an accurate medical examination yeah. and still play within the rules of the game is kind of the difficult aspect. So I think that kind of comes into what's been thrown about to kind of remedy this. I Mm -hmm. think we can start with like temporary concussion substitutes. So my understanding of that is having somebody come on while somebody gets evaluated for a concussion. Mm -hmm. And then if that person does not have a concussion after correct evaluation, they can come back on and finish the game or that substitute can just stay in whatever Mm -hmm. that coach feels up to. But that way the game itself isn't stopped yeah. which i think is the big issue for a lot of people so i kind of want to hear your thoughts yeah. on that i think that to, like to me this is the um the first ideal solution that has to come uh, obviously with other solutions such as like getting independent medical um personnel that you know aren't swayed by you know i'm the chelsea i'm the like english doctor and no, this is Harry Kane had his hand injury, but I know and I support this English national team. I want Harry Kane to be on the field. So, you know, so obviously we had to have all those other guidelines, but I think that temporary concussion substitutes is the best way forward because, again, I think it's just the players also, the, 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 the coach, the team, the structural factors, you know, kind of push the best player, you know, to want to keep playing. And, um, you know, especially when in, in, in like soccer dynamic and the, the fact that like there's no timeouts, there's no ease of substitutions, there's no unlimited amount of substitutions. Right. And it just makes it difficult at times for coaches to make that decision to be like sub them out or even the player knowing that like, hey, I got I got this concussion. The coach is going to sub me out. That's one less substitution we have for the game. Right. Or and I know there's been some you know th- some uh, you know mitigation you know uh, options that have come up such as uh, like giving an extra substitute if someone gets a head injury, but I don't think that's the solution. I think that just knowing that like if I come off for this injury, they're gonna actually give me a full complete concussion test to see if I'm actually concussed. Um, it can take 10 minutes. It can take 15 minutes to 20 or 30 minutes, but I know for a fact that like if I'm not concussed, I will be back for whatever is left of the game. Um, and throughout that period of time, we're not playing with 10 men, right? Yeah. Because it's almost like whenever the player is going through the concussion protocols, like their, their team is playing a man down. And yeah. we have a situation where the team that like, where there's the, a victim here that just got hurt <laughs> is having to deal with you know, playing a man down and they can let a goal in that during that time period. It just completely changes the game. Um, and I think we could even take that even bigger than this concussions and just say when there's an injury, right, you can bring on a substitute immediately. And that substitute can come off only for the player that, they, you know, they were substituted for if that injury is not as bad as was previously thought. Because sometimes right. you see a player, like, hurts his leg pretty badly and it's hurting for that for, like, 10 minutes and he thinks he has to come off and then you see the end of the game, he's, like, jumping around with the team because, like, it actually ended up being not as bad as they thought it was. Um, so just, like, implementing some, like, different rules and structural factors that just make it to where no one is, is, is pushed a certain direction. No one is yeah. made to make a decision quickly on the fly. I know that, like, if I, whatever, like, what I do on the side, I'm, a, I'm about to work for the EPA. Like, if I had to do, write some paper in, like, five minutes while, you know, a TV is, like, on me while my friends are watching, my mom is watching, everyone's watching me, and I have to make this decision, or, and someone's making me, telling me to go this way, someone's telling me to go that way, and, like, you're just gonna be, you're not gonna perform, you're not gonna perform as well as you you obviously could. Um, So I think that just, like, removing those structural factors that make it difficult to make uh, a, a good, full decision that is, like, 
you know, decided on through full study and full research and full whatever it is. Just you have to remove the fact that these people are pushed a certain way. Um, I think yeah, the temporary, the, yeah, is is the way forward. What do you think? The, I, I I agree. Mm-hmm. I think the temporary concussions are important because you need to take the decision out of the players' hands. Yeah. And I know that's probably an unpopular opinion, but it's just it's, it's one of those health. things yeah. where you're not in the right headspace yeah. with a head injury, but also just like a normal injury. I don't think the players, obviously, they know their body, and with muscles and things like that, I think that's a little bit more of a gray area but with with head injuries like they shouldn't be under the spotlight and having to make a big decision like this yeah when they they have if they had the opportunity to take a break which even the opportunity is wrong i think it should be mandatory like to take a break sit down mm-hmm. reevaluate when you're not like okay my team's not down like you said I think that that's the way forward, but the problem is the structural implementation is going to be the issue because yeah. there's just no uniform guidance. It's just mm-hmm. there's different, different leagues, <laughs> there's different, different. FA, different FAs, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And so you have to deal with that. Plus, you have to deal with the people that mm-hmm. you know will hear temporary substitutes and be like, the game's gone. The game's gone. <laughs> like, those type of people yeah. that'll be like, oh, you don't play like they don't play with leather balls anymore, blah, 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 like those type of people. And it, it's, so you get a fight on a lot of different fronts. But I think that if you don't do temporary concussion substitutes, you either have to stop the game, kind of like what they do with like water breaks now, which is kind of mm-hmm. interesting, like when it's hot, like they, make yeah. them, they let them take water breaks mm-hmm. and the clock still goes. I don't think that's the right way forward, but I just don't think that they can abandon the game. Um, so I think, the best way forward is to allow people to come off and come on Yeah, if they're not concussed. And even, like, give the player the opportunity, like, okay, if the screening takes more than 15 minutes and it was you got hurt in the 75th minute, it's like, hey, but you don't have a concussion. Like, you're queer to play next game. Like, yeah, concussions need probably about minimum a week, if it's a minor one, mm-hmm. to, of rest to heal up. So I think it could be encouraging to be like, hey, like, you know you could still play just not this game anymore and yeah that's okay like this is we're playing the long game and that's that's what the yeah your health is more important like this this is your health and yeah i know you want to win but like you should you should want to live, live more than that so and you also uh, want to you know remember your wife's name when you're 50 yeah you know um yeah. you want to be able to tell the fact that you mm-hmm. are playing in this game when you're yeah. old not exactly forget it yeah so yeah i mean there, there's a lot of solutions that could um be be implemented and stuff but um, I think it, we can definitely agree that like something has to be done because it's definitely not right to see a player get a knee to the head, pass out, and then keep playing. <laughs> um, yeah. I, 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 at least I don't think so. Um, but yeah, I think that this is definitely, definitely an important issue and we will definitely keep our eye on um, the policies implemented after this, the Euros. And I'm, now I'm talking like I'm <laughs> discussing like <laughs> like government public policy. Uh, you know, the MPP in me is, is coming out. But yeah, it, it, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. But that is it for our main discussions of today. And we will just end with a very, 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 very quick, quick fire question. Um, and the question is, Josh, what has been your favorite part of the month of June? Because it is June 30th, so we've had 30 days in this month, and you know what has been uh, a highlight of it? What has been your favorite part? Whatever it is, let's hear it. Um, so hopefully, knock on wood, sneaking into the playoffs with our record. <laughs> um, yes, sir. That, it was just it was it was mostly which is really cool to play soccer yeah. on the National Mall. Like uh-huh. I'm pretty new to DC and. It was just really cool to just, like, be in the shadow of the monuments and just mm-hmm. be able to, like, play, you know, pick up with your friends. So yeah. I, I, I thought that was a lot of fun. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely agreed. Yes, I, I was about to say the exact same one, but and it's okay. <laughs> we'll just we'll, we'll go with it. That has been both of our favorite part of the last month because um, we have been in a um, co-ed soccer team called the Friends of Pele. Um, and we, you know, ha- we've had an all right season. We won two games, drew one, yeah. and then lost two. 
Um, and but it should be said that we have one of the smallest teams. We do. We I think we have the smallest team, <laughs> and we've constantly played with no subs. Um, so we have gotten quite yes. fit, <laughs> or at least fitter than we were a month ago. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's been good, and, and and we may have somehow sneaked into the playoffs, um, or snuck into the playoffs. I guess I should say. Um, but we'll know by the end of today because the team that is currently ninth is playing the team that is second and currently undefeated. And if the team that's ninth place but right below us ends up winning today in about an hour and a half or two, <laughs> um, then we will not make the playoffs. But otherwise, I think that we should feel confident to make these playoffs and we will play the current first seed. So that it will be a scary game. You know, they're a large team with lots of subs and lots of players that have played together for a long time. But um, it's just really fun, honestly, just playing, even when we lose. Because um, it's just it's just kind of nice, like, being able to play with an, a team. And um, we've yeah. been, like, hanging out with the team, playing, you know, pickup soccer on the side with each other. And um, went out for beers the other day. So it was, it's, been, it's been nice being with the team. So the highlight of June has definitely been the Friends of Pele. Um, we will look forward to playing with them this next month in July, and we will definitely keep you all updated on um, our second season. <laughs> um, but that is all for today. Thank you all for wa- um, not watching, listening, um, and we look forward to giving you all another podcast next week or two. We'll have to just bear with us. Um, we are both very, very busy with grad school um, and work as and well. Work. and. Just moving yeah. to a new city, a um, so just bear with us. And I think that in and you know in a while, once we kind of see this in a direction, we will definitely, definitely kind of make a set schedule to our current like two or three listeners. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks so much, everyone. Um, Throw the base. And please uh, check us out on Twitter. My at is cozy underscore Marcel. And Josh, please plug your Twitter real quick. Oh, at Josh Reynolds fifty one. And thank you so much. Y'all have a good rest of your day. Goodbye.